0: Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. This is episode number 91, and for those of you who are new, the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast covers the comments and emails that came in from members of the Mandarin Blueprint Method course and the Pronunciation Mastery course. It also covers some posts from the Mandarin Blueprint Community Forum, and we just engage with the audience here. But we also do like to start with a grammar point. This week's Grammar Point covers the tag, GW, relator, from in distance, jieci, li. And as a reminder, relators are our word for preposition, because preposition's a weird word. It doesn't really necessarily tell you, unless you understand English etymology, uh, what the function of a preposition is. But what a preposition does is it relates, you know, to to maybe locations or people, it, it gives the relationship between. Is it something for someone else? Is it to something? Is it from something? And that's what we're going to cover today, is distance from two locations. So from one location to another location, what's the distance from those two locations? And that's where we use li. So this is actually a pretty simple grammar point, so let's just cover a sentence and see how it's structured. The office is far away from my house. So, as you can see from this sentence, it's a really simple sentence. The structure is location one plus Li plus location two plus the relative distance. For example, Yuan or Jin. Jin means close. So, you could say, 公司離我家很近, which would mean it's very close to my house. And so, it's regardless of whether you say, Far or close, this is a way of getting across that relative distance by using li. Let's look at another sentence. Shang I don't live far from school, so I go to classes by bike or on foot. So instead of saying 我家, like in the first sentence, the speaker says 我住的地方, which is actually kind of another way you could say uh where I live. So instead of saying my home, it's just uh, where I live. And in this case, it's from Li the school, 學校, which is the second location. So the first location is 我住的地方, and the second location is 学校. So what is it? It's Yuan. So not that far. Naturally, 不远 and 很近 are pretty much the same. You can all you can always um, negate one to mean the other, so 不近 would mean Yuan and 不远 would mean 近. Simple uh, antonyms there. Let's look at one final sentence. 贵州, 李四川, Guizhou province is not far from Sichuan province. So as you can see, location one is Guizhou and location two is Sichuan. Put li in between them and then you just say the relative distance so this is a really simple grammar point of course the uh, word order is a little bit different than it would be in English but it won't take very long for you to get the hang of it so if you'd like to see more sentences that have this structure simply look up in your flashcard software GW Relator from in distance tits li Okay, let's go to some comments and emails for today. The first email comes from Al Roy, and it's an interesting little revelation he had about the hanzi movie method. So he says, I thought I'd share a small but interesting experience that happened just now. No reason other than that you might find it kind of, sort of interesting. Well, I'm sure I will. The local restaurants have started opening up again uh, here uh, from, I guess, three or four days ago. So at the moment, I happen to be sitting at a table of my A set. So what he means there is that he chose a location to represent the final A, which is the final you'll see in uh, sounds like ta, ba, pa, these types of different pinyin sounds. And so that uh, A set happens to be this restaurant that he's sitting in. Aside from a visit a couple days ago, I haven't had the opportunity to actually be here and sit down at a table since the lockdown began, which is when I was really just getting started with making hanzi movies. So the set is Canyon Alpine Restaurant. I borrowed the A from Alpine to make it my A set. The owner's wife was sitting at a table talking with her waitress. i have been sitting here at a table going through my Anki cards and decided to go over and let my boss's wife know that her restaurant is actually one of my sets. The character I was reviewing is xia, which means summer, and so of course it's got that A ending which takes place about 50 or 60 feet away from where I'm currently sitting, at a picnic table behind the restaurant. So I went over, sat down beside her, and explained how it works. I expected her eyes to glaze over right away, but she made it through most of the explanation of what a henza movie is before that happened. At the end, she said it sounds way too complicated, and it must be a guy thing, lol. <laughs> Here's the movie. Alpine Backyard. It's a, It's summertime, and... Uh Shelag, I don't know if i pronounced that right, my, his uh, actress for XI, is ready for it. She puts a fake nose and a razor blade on top of an Atlas robot and gets it to stand out back by the picnic tables to entertain the summer customers. I'll take a couple of pictures of my A set and attach them. The picnic table has an Atlas Boston Dynamics robot standing on it. <laughs> nice. So that's awesome, Al. I like that the um, you know you, you were able to share that and somebody was kind of get the idea. I can understand that if somebody's not learning Chinese characters, they'd look at that and be like that seems like way too much work to do, but of course It's always, always, always compared to what? So compared to rote learning, well, it's way faster than that. So uh, thanks so much for your email. Natasha in the community forum. She says, hi, I'm Natasha, and I am new to the Mandarin Blueprint community. I was having a difficult time with the initial tones as I had learned them poorly using a previous learning method. I found that relating the tones to music notes was helpful to me, as my mind is already accustomed to single notes, sliding notes, etc. To break it down even further, I use the sliding tone for DO and SOL for the second tone and SOL to LA to DO for the fourth tone. So what she's referring to is a solphage, which is like for singing, you know, DO RE MI FA SOL LA TI DO DO MI SOL MI DO. Right, so um, has anyone else used this method with any success and is there any possibility of incorporating it into the pronunciation portion of the Mandarin Blueprint as an alternate learning method. Well, I did learn some solfege when I was in uh, music school at Temple University years ago, and um, I never considered using that to help with tones, but certainly um, if you just say a do, re, mi, do, that's first tone. Do, just a, a single note, maybe do, re, mi, 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 ah, Ta, ba, sure, that could be a um, first tone there, but I never considered it for the other tones, especially because of the sliding. Sliding tones are kind of quite hard to do, in my opinion, in in, uh, music, so in singing. um, I'm not a particularly good singer, so I... I, haven't really had too much success with that so I haven't incorporated this into the course but it would be cool I, I can't really conceptualize how I would do it now but I appreciate you kind of like looking into that so uh, Natasha let us know how it goes if you are able to find some way to turn the four tones into a sulfage uh, have a corresponding solfage to fit with them that would be kind of cool Irene Ong in the community forum, she says, I've completed to level four and feel anxious as to how I'm going to remember the Chinese characters learned so far, more so with harder ones in future lessons. The Mandarin Blueprint Method is based on pinyin to set a movie to remember the character. Can you advise how to recognize the Chinese characters without the pinyin? Am I missing a step because out of the 30 characters I learned, I am forgetting the characters 19, 22, and 23? Um which are jie, xiong, and doi. So, yeah, I mean, so there's a a few things to talk about here. One is that you feel anxious as to how you're going to remember because you're overthinking about what is going to happen in the future. So this is kind of hard to conceptualize, but you don't know what's going to happen. So it's not really worth worrying about whether or not you'll be able to remember because in all likelihood, based on the fact that we've had a lot of people do this, that this method has been quite successful for so many people, that you're going to get the hang of it. It's more reasonable to assume that even if you didn't remember a few characters, that you will eventually get the hang of it. So that's one thing to consider. It's like this is a sort of a Buddhist type of way of thinking about it, but uh, Buddhists will say that half of, more than half of all of our anxieties are based on concerns about things that never come to pass. So there's a little bit of, um, you know, let nature take its course a little bit here by continuing to follow the lessons. But let's get a little bit more detailed. Um, So when it comes to recognizing the Chinese characters, remember, you have two types of Anki cards that uh, correspond to each character. And if you get the Anki card wrong, you're going to hit again, and it's going to reset the algorithm so that you see that card more often. Now, what does it mean if you couldn't remember a character? It means that there is an element to your scene that wasn't memorable enough. Maybe it was the set, maybe it was the actor, maybe it was the props. And I do get the sense from this message that you're still getting the hang of the Hensley movie method, which is totally normal at the end of level four. At the end of level four, not totally wrapping your head around it and getting it uh, in full yet is absolutely par for the course. So, um... When you realize, I forgot something. Then you want to go back and figure out, well, what did I forget? So one of the cards shows the keyword and the pinyin on the front. So the English keyword and the pinyin on the front. And your task is to write the character down. So if you can't remember the character, it's likely because one of your props wasn't clear enough. Or the, the action that showed the meaning of the character isn't clear enough. So for example, tip means to introduce. So perhaps in your scene you need to make it clearer that your actor and somebody else are introducing themselves to each other. So you um, zoom in on them shaking hands for the first time, or you zoom in on their facial expressions, you do slow motion, Um, you have a third person there who's clearly making the hand gestures of introducing, right? That's a way to slightly improve the scene based on what the Anki card told you. The Anki card told you that there's that's the thing that's missing if you couldn't remember Introduce. Now, maybe you remembered that it meant Introduce, but you couldn't remember one of the props. Well, what we have there is we have a, uh, uh, a samurai sword, a stick, and an umbrella, or the, you know, sort of standard props we would suggest for that. So maybe you remember that there was a samurai sword, but you couldn't remember the umbrella and a stick. So... That's fine. It just means that you need to reincorporate them into your scene more clearly. And again, you're still just getting the hang of this, so it's all gonna, it's all gonna come with time. Um and then and also I'd just like to point out that you've learned 30 characters and you're only saying that there are three characters that you haven't remembered, which is fantastic. That means you have a uh a 90% retention rate, which is awesome. That's like a really good retention rate for anybody on anything. So the fact that you forgot them initially doesn't mean that you're going to forget them forever. And then also remember that as you continue forward, you're going to expand your context. So at the moment, you're covering uh, just characters. That's all that happens in phase one. But eventually you're going to have words and eventually you're going to have sentences, which means that you have more layers by which to memorize the characters. So the characters alone is one way, and the handsome Movie Method is a highly effective way to remember individual characters. Heck, you've got a 90% retention rate already. But uh, it as soon as you add in two character words that contain those characters, and then sentences that contain those characters, your chances for repetition of the characters go up, no, I don't know if it's exponentially, but it goes up significantly. And so at that point, you're going to um, have more chances to remember the characters, more chances to review them, repetition, and then they'll definitely go into your long-term memory. But, you know, it's kind of like, I appreciate how uh, you're, you're concerned, but it's almost like you're holding yourself to a, an incredibly high standard um, because you're saying, I forgot three characters, uh, you know, when I'm still getting the hang of the method and when I haven't added extra context – So your concern is, um, you know, I mean, in a way, I like how high a standard you're holding yourself to, but there's no need. There's no need. You're going to get the hang of this in no time. So thank you for this post. It is actually interesting to go through that and consider all those different angles. Thanks, Irene. Next, we have Eleanor Todd in the community forum. She says, hi, folks, I'm working on level 13 and having a great time. I have two questions. First, the the sentences are a huge relief. Even though there are a lot to catch up on, it really feels like these words are being learned more deeply. That's funny that and that directly relates to the previous uh, comment by Irene in the sense that now that Eleanor is at a place where she uh, is having larger context, she's finding her understanding of the previous characters she learned to be uh, well deeper. so that's uh, that's fantastic. It seems like the practice is reinforcing the connection from characters to meaning. On its own, this is great, but there are other connections that seem important too, like characters to speech and speech to meaning. Uh, sure, yeah. um, As an experiment, I set up an extra deck, an extra Anki deck, that took the level 12 sentences and generated three cards. One, pronounce a sentence from characters. Two, write a sentence from speech. And three, understand the meaning from speech. So this practice, especially the writing, is challenging, but I feel much more fluid in understanding saying and writing the characters afterwards. My question, is going this deep worth my time at this point? If not, why not? Second, having unlocked the ability to read whole sentences, yay! What is the next major goal or milestone that I'm working towards? At what level will I reach that milestone? So um, the first question is... uh, My question is, going this deep worth my time at this point? If not, why not? Well, it's hard to argue that it's not good to do those three different types of cards. That could be very helpful. Really, the only argument against it is uh, time. Because there's sort of, um, you know, it's like it it obviously takes a long time to do those three different cards. Especially writing out the characters and, uh, you know, maybe figuring out, understanding the meanings doesn't take very long, but writing the sentence and then pronouncing the sentence from characters, just three things you need to do just for one sentence. And no one sentence is particularly important. You know, like all sen- sentences are infinite. So you you want to kind of get, like there's an argument to be made for letting the many sentences wash over you and let the grammar, because you get so much comprehensible input, let the grammar uh, build its, natural acquisition modules unconsciously in your brain Uh, and if you do too much conscious attention towards each sentence you're kind of missing out on that like meta win of having loads and loads of sentences so you're going to read fewer sentences if you have to spend so much time on these three different types of cards that said um i think the best compromise on this would be to just do this for some sentences like do it for sentences that you like For some reason, who knows why you like a sentence? It's not really something that you have to question too much. But if you find that you're uh, going through the course and you go, oh, this sentence is cool, then maybe make the three cards out of that particular sentence. But doing it for every sentence would probably be um, prohibitive, prohibitively time-consuming in terms of your overall goal, which is to uh, get enough input so that you can acquire Chinese. You know, the... The amount of sentences you need to see are, it's, there are quite a lot. So, you know, you got to get faster and faster at reading so that you can get more and more sentences in each day and then reach your goal of actual acquisition through loads of comprehensible input. Now, that kind of relates to the second point here, which is that uh, what is the next major goal or milestone that I'm working towards? At what level will I reach that milestone? Well, at this point, you're, in a state of ever-expanding context. So, clearly, we started off with character components, and then we said character components are the context of a character, of an individual character. They're a level below. And then characters, you started to learn them. Now, an individual character can be combined with another character to create a word. So the characters are the context for the words, and then the words are the context for the sentences. And now, the sentences will be context for the paragraphs, Level 21. So that's an answer. Level 21 is when we start making longer paragraphs of several sentences that gives you more con- context. And then you get to uh, paragraphs leading to stories. And so once you've reached stories, you're kind of, it's just a matter of. Shorter story or longer story, and that's really what it, that comes down to. But And that we start doing longer stories at level 31, and um, we're still working on them, but the intermediate course has over 100 stories written, and we're just working on formatting them for the course and all that. Um, but this is just to say that at this point, your only goal is to keep expanding your context so that you have greater and greater uh connections to the meaning of words, characters, character components, sentences, grammar structures, like the larger your context is, the more that stuff naturally becomes acquired. So um, at this point in phase three, just focus on the sentence level. There's no need to rush. And then by the time you get to level 21, we'll start introducing, I think the first one's actually in level 22, but it's phase four of the course where we start introducing uh, longer form content where you'll see the sentences first in your sentence flashcards and then we'll... Uh, turn that into a longer form paragraph later. And that, of course, gives you uh, uh, an even, longer, uh, even larger context by which to understand what you're reading day to day. So hopefully that's a, a clear answer for you, Eleanor. Next, we have Simon Meller in the community forum. He says, hey legends, my name is Simon. I've been on the course since mid-February and just hit lucky level 13 this morning. I'd like to introduce myself, but also share a few thoughts on the MB course so far. As I understand it, part of the Mandarin Blueprint philosophy is putting faith in learning persistence efficiently and effectively um, and exposure to the language. Uh, so basically, yeah, yeah, MB philosophy is putting faith in learning persistence and exposure to language. Knowing you will acquire Mandarin Chinese naturally in time. Just like a kid, you don't try to learn language. It just happens in your surroundings. Before I began, I set no time limit on how quickly I wanted to become, quote-unquote, fluent. And the reward from this is I have felt no pressure and instead found studying both really interesting and enjoyable. Regarding the learning uh, content slash method. In my opinion, so far, the Mandarin Blueprint team have nailed it. So uh, I just uh, there's more here, but I just wanted to comment on the fact that there's this there's sort of counterintuitive truth about reaching fluency, which is, which is that in order to acquire language, you must be relaxed. And if you feel stressed about how quickly you're going to learn, that can be counterproductive. Now. Obviously, there's a, a possibility of remaining relaxed while also being highly productive, but it is key to not put too much pressure on yourself, so I'm glad to hear that that's uh, how it's been going for you so far. Continuing. Also, this is the first time I've paid for an online course. With my abacus, I worked out that if I was to study with MB for three years, the cost would be just over, over $1,000. Compare that to the tens of thousands it would cost to go to uni. Uh, it's a no-brainer. Not to mention the lack of exams and fear of failure. How can you fail if you don't have a time limit? Exactly. Some reminders I give myself on the weekly. One, trust yourself and trust the process. Two, be aware when entering flow state. There's a chance you may wake up the next day with a thousand Anki regards to review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can happen. Yeah, sure. Um... And so, yeah, that's one of those things that can happen if you keep following the course and you keep getting really into it. You're building up your review cards, and then the next day when you're maybe not as in much of a flow state, uh, that can be a little bit tricky. So, yeah, you're right to, uh, you know, be aware that, oh, I'm in flow state. I might be putting a little bit too much burden on my future self by doing too much. Anyway, long story short, I'm frothing to start level 13, so I'll get back to that. Big love to the whole Mandarin Blueprint team. Xiexie nin. Simon PS two questions, what is the background music for the video here? which I sent him. it's a it's a sort of copyright free um, background music we use for some of the videos. and then he says, where is the petition for Phil to grow back? His almighty beard. Well, if you're watching the video, folks, you'll see that I'm already on my way back to doing that. That's so funny. So many people in the um, Mandarin Blueprint forums and uh, also in my real life are like, why did you shave your beard? And I'm like, oh, okay, I see. (laughs) (laughs) I'll grow it back if it means that much to you. Anyway, thanks so much for your uh, comment, Simon, and uh, we'll see you on the course. Ashley O'Dell in the community forum. She says, Hi guys, I am just now starting the Mandarin Bluebird Method Foundation course. I am really impressed with the prep work done in the Anki decks and the detail of your method. I have a few questions that I haven't found answers to yet. One, I'm having a hard time remembering the script of the scene, most of which has been provided so far by you guys. I'm sure there's a place in the Anki decks for recording the story, but I can't seem to find it. I was trying to unsuspend the word review card for... And I found that it asked for a lived experience and a mnemonic, which I don't remember being discussed. So I'll address this question first. The fact that you're not remembering the scripts very well at this point is because you're just very early in the course. And so it's no big deal. It's just you'll get the hang of it. Um... If you wish to write down your scripts, which is not required, you should be able to not need to write down the scripts because your scenes are so vivid and so memorable that you, you know, the whole point is that you don't need to write it down. Like as soon as you need to write it down, you're going to slow yourself down, and then, uh, it's, you know, it's still slightly better than rote learning, but it's, it's not that much better because the idea is that when you get fast at it, you'll be able to do an incredibly memorable scene in fifteen to thirty seconds, and then if you had to then spend a minute and a half writing down the uh, scene, it would be kind of, you know, de- defeating the purpose of how speedy it can be. Um, but that said, you're early, so you're not quite fast yet because you still need to get the hang of the techniques. And so if you want to write down the scene in your Anki card, just write it in the notes field uh, of the Anki card. At the moment, it has a couple links in it, but you can just add. Uh, whatever notes you want to that field when you're looking at the cards in Browse. Um, Secondly, you had the word review card, and it asked for lived lived experience and a mnemonic, which is something we're going to discuss further in Phase 2 of the course in Level 7. So don't worry about it for now. In Phase 1, we're not focused as much on words. We're focused more on characters. So uh, we filled that stuff in for you in the first six levels. In Level 7, we'll explain what all of that is about. Next question. One of the other members asked a question below, and I also have been wondering about this. I'm only at level 2, so I'm sure it will get easier with time, but I want to study an Anki in the right way. When I see a character for review, I can see the props, but I don't. if I don't know the pinion at all, are the props themselves supposed to remind me of the actor and the set? Sometimes I can remember the actions that are taken between the props, but I think in the future I might have a problem distinguishing which actor it is. If that gets explained better later, just let me know and I'll let it go for now. Yeah, so this is, um, th- this question is kind of like Irene's question in the sense that you're worried about what it's going to be like in the future. But here's what it's going to be like in the future. You're going to get better at doing every element of this method. You're going to get better at remembering the props, the actors, the sets. You're going to get better at having them interact and adding memorable special effects, we call them, which are really just memory champion techniques. And, um, you know you're at level two which is very early and you know so of course yeah you're going to see Anki and you're going to forget certain things but that's just that all that is is just being new to the method so for now I would say that you're going to get a better sense of it of course you can read the uh, actor sets props scripts special effects documents that are available in the sidebar of the course uh, if you want to get some more theory behind it but I'm sure you're going to get it in no time so the final thing Ashley says here is otherwise I'm so thankful for you guys I just wish you could do this for other languages as well. Uh, you know, maybe someday, but we're going to stick with the Mandarin for the time being. Next, Natalia Kovalenko on Make a Movie for Young. She says, It feels amazing to reach 400 characters in less than two months since I started. I never would have thought it possible in a million years. Haven't yet missed a single day of Anki. Awesome. I don't think I've ever been so completely absorbed in anything in my life. Not in decades anyway. My family is worried about my mental health. Yeah. I think that anything where you are becoming great at something, which is definitely the path that you're on at the moment, uh people around you will sometimes find it a little bit strange and to some degree it's like it's a little bit of like, you know, they, they haven't necessarily it's either that they're not at the moment passionate about something or they just are They've forgotten what it's like to be passionate about something. But you're doing fantastically. And yet, 400 characters in two months is really, really well. Really, really good. So, um, well done, Natalia. And, uh, Next, Yasmin, ooh, Gwendozi, on time to get real about sentences. She says, absolutely flabbergasted that I was able to read all those sentences and comprehend the meaning. So this is the first lesson where we introduce sentences that you can read without pinion because you know the characters and the words inside. The only one I got confused with was 我的电话卡了 because I didn't know ka also had the meaning of uh, for slow processing. Yeah, we I think we put it in there as as a top down word, but yeah, ka can mean card uh, like your credit card or something like that, but it can also mean uh, to to. You're like if internet's going slowly or uh, your phone is moving slowly, uh, it's all slow. Uh, let's see you're continuing. I'm extremely excited to move forward and continue my learning journey. Thank you, lads, for making something that once appeared very daunting into something fun and engaging. Well, uh, glad to hear that. Yeah, that really is a great moment when you understand full sentences without pinyin. That's like, I mean, you're reading Chinese. I mean, that's cool. Anybody in their, um, you know who's, who's grown up and been to a Chinatown or been to a Chinese restaurant and seen those characters and thought, whoa, that's a, they, they read that, you know, now you can too. So that's pretty, pretty awesome. Next, um, Sai on You Did It. So Sai actually won the Mandarin Blueprint Challenge, uh, about a year and a half ago, I think it was, um, where he learned, uh, 105 characters in two days, which was pretty awesome. And so he says, this is in the Pronunciation Mastery course, where he got to the end. He said, thank you so much, Phil and Luke. I really enjoyed the pronunciation course from Mandarin Blueprint. I have a problem with my pronunciation, and this course really helped me a lot. I really love the way you teach, and I cannot stop watching your lectures. I will start learning the Chinese characters and try to get to the next level. By the end of 2020, I promise to speak Chinese. Thank you again for giving me this opportunity. Well, uh, you know, Sai, we are putting forward a path for you, but you're the one who's walking it. So well done, and, um, you know, thank you, of course, for leaving that uh, stellar review. We appreciate it. Jim L. Elliott on Unit 1 Wrap-Up. So far, so good. Just learning about the color coding on Pleco was worth the price of the course. I think it's more of a comment on how cheap the pronunciation course is. It's only ten bucks. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that color coding in Pleco is definitely useful. Again, it's red for first tone, green for second tone, blue for third tone, uh, purple for fourth tone, and gray for fifth tone. So it's uh, it is quite useful if you know that. Lisa, on it's a word for um, let's see, one of uh, for gan said, maybe this question has been answered elsewhere, but I haven't found it yet. So we learned Gan with a movie set in the entrance, but the same character as shown above has a different meaning and a different tone. Dry and to do work are very different meanings. Do we eventually create a second movie set in the bathroom for memorizing this Gan meaning? So what she's referring to is the character... Can, its primary meaning is is dry, and when it means dry, it's first tone, but it also has a secondary, uh, also very common meaning uh, of to do work. And when it's to do work, it's pronounced can, with a fourth tone. Now, she's asking, do we make a movie for this? Now, our uh, philosophy on this is that you should use the Hanzi movie method to learn the primary uh, meaning of a character and the primary pronunciation, and not overcomplicate your scenes by adding in a secondary uh, meaning or a secondary pronunciation. That said, though, it wouldn't be that hard to do for "gan" uh, and "gan." So if you want to, you can. Uh, but our experience is that as you get into sentences and paragraphs and stories, these alternate secondary and tertiary uh, meanings and pronunciations, they become clear through the larger context of uh, of Chinese, and in our experience, it wasn't that hard to learn. Why? Why wouldn't it be that hard to learn? Well, because you've already learned the primary meaning. It's not a brand new character to you. It's not starting from scratch. You're starting from already knowing the character components, already knowing uh, the pronunciation. Now, sometimes a secondary meaning has also the secondary pronunciation, but in our experience, it doesn't. It's just for some reason, it doesn't uh, take that much to memorize that. Secondary pronunciation and secondary meaning. So generally we don't say you need to make a scene for it, but you can if you want. I mean, you know how to, so uh if you wish, you can. Next, James on make a movie for Z. So for uh Z, we say that this is a box and a um hook. But he says, Isn't this a horse head, a razor blade, and a hook? The answer is that if you want it to be, it can be a horse, bl- horse head razor blade and a hook. And, you know, the, he says that might make this easier to remember than a new prop backwards, because that box prop, has it's like a square with one side missing, and it can either be like it is in Zizi, or it can be the other way around. It's usually the other way around. But the thing is, it's like... You're going to use that prop in the future, so if you don't learn it, then you're going to have to learn it again in the future. So it's kind of, it's up to you, and also having only two props is a little bit easier to remember than having three props. But still, it's, it, it's not wrong to do it as a horse head razor and hooks. so if that's what you'd rather do, James, that's fine. Next, we have Jason Pon on bonus, the power of Chinese characters, sheng. Should we be putting time into learning characters actively right now, including Anki, or will this all be reintroduced in the next course? So this is uh, a bonus video in the Pronunciation Mastery course, and yes, it's a bonus video. You don't need to memorize anything around it, uh, and you'll learn all these characters properly in the Mandarin Looper Method course. But, uh, you know, thanks for asking. Obviously, it's, uh, it's, you've got the right attitude if you're thinking that maybe I should be reviewing this, but no need. You'll get to learn that in the Hands of Movie Method and the Mandarin Looper Method. John McCann on Pick a Prop for Woo. Since most of the characters thus far I know already, and many are words, I had to remind myself that not all characters are standalone words. May seem obvious, but underscored the importance of doing all of the work to make a character recognizable with the Hens Movie Method. That's very true. So, you know, all characters are morphemes, which means that they all carry some form of meaning. However, just like um, in the word exhausted You've got exhaust, well, actually, you've got, yeah, you've got exhaust and you've got ed. And so, exhaust is a word, exhaust, uh, ed is a word, but ed alone is not a word. So, you know, if you're going to have, uh, uh, you're going to say that ed c- carries meaning, though. So, ed, ed is a morpheme, but it's not a word. And many Chinese characters are like that. So, w- is actually one of those because. Uh, you could say xia which means uh, afternoon, you could say zhong wu, you could say wu fan, but you can't just say wu by itself, you need to add something in there, and wu basically means like midday, so shang wu means like above midday or uh, before midday, previous, like shang can mean, like shang can mean previous, and can mean next, so it's kind of that meaning with like shang wu means late morning, basically, you're approaching noon, but you're you're not there yet, so you're previous to noon and then xia wu is afternoon you know next from noon so uh that's the uh the the characters there and then wu fan means the fan that you eat at noon so lunch right but you again you can't just say wu by itself without another morpheme to finish it off so that happens all the time in chinese and that's what john's getting at so uh well done there Next, we have Simon Meller on Time to Get Real About Sentences, which is uh, the same lesson we talked about with Yasmin's uh, comment before. And he says, just like Yasmin said, mind blown. This method is doing its thang. Uh Just regarding the sentence, What makes it one and a half rather than just one half? So, 一个半面包. The, to say half a piece of bread would be 半个. Mian so, yi ge. so yi ge means one, and then we add in a ban after that. Yi ge ban. Mian so, we've already established one, and then we add in the ban afterwards. If it were just half, you would put ban before good. And if we wanted to be even more accurate, um, we would say quiet instead of good, because good is the universal measure word that you can use if you don't know the measure word for a character. But if you want to say a piece of bread, you would say. 以块面包, and if you want to specifically say a slice of bread, like you know, uh, in sliced bread, you would say 以片面包, um but or 以块半面包, or 半块面包. Regardless, the ban's location indicates whether it's uh, like, for example, if I were to say that would be three and a half, right? So, the ban comes after the measure word if it's saying half of the number that comes before the measure word. Like, you know, sanga plus half. So, Um But if it's just half, it's just 半个面包. Gareth Edwards on Set the Scene for OU. He says, on a side note, I'm starting to think I chose the wrong AN set, as the space for the kitchen in my workplace was very small, but in the main workroom. There was a table with a microwave and all, and all, so that can be distinguished. Do you think I should change the set, which I am reluctant to do at this stage? Most sets have not been perfect, unfortunately, as it does, as in one doesn't have a kitchen or another doesn't have a bathroom. Do I need to redo? No, I don't think so. So, if you had a workplace and you're saying that the uh, you, know, you wanted to make second tone the kitchen and it was like a, a break room or a work room or whatever... Uh, and you don't like that room, you can choose another room in your workplace to be the representation of Second Tone. Because remember, there's only 13 sets, and you're going to do this all the time, so remembering which room is Second Tone is not going to be a problem for you. But remember, the alternate to the kitchen for Second Tone is just inside the entrance. So whenever you walk into either the building that your work is in, or the actual office itself, that can also be a representation of Second Tone. So it's really up to you. I don't think you need to redo... In the end, our tone um, room suggestions are just suggestions. Like, obviously, it's easy. If every place has a bathroom, you can just remember the bathroom is fourth tone. But if some place doesn't have a bathroom or some place doesn't have a kitchen, uh, that doesn't mean that you're going to, like, be, it's going to be impossible for you to remember which room is second tone. Um, you know, just uh, just walk around and, you know, maybe you imagine that that room in a green tint to match the pleco color coding of a, uh, You know, you imagine a green filter over your uh, perception of the room. You could do that. Um, But you'll get it down. Alex Sumray on the story Walk in the Park, I've got hands to study. He says, it's rather addicting, this shadowing thing, isn't it? Thanks again for the Kraken course. So we suggest that people, when they reach the stories, try to shadow along with the native speaker audio so that they can get better at their pronunciation at native speed and also just kind of getting the flow of sentences. Because if I say, ni that's a perfect way of saying the word hello and, you know, I'm saying one word correctly, but sometimes you're going to say words in the context of a sentence, and they might flow slightly differently, and it's it's hard to absolutely pin down objectively what those things are, like it is it's like it is like with a single word. With a single word, you can pretty much say, okay, you said it right, or you said it incorrectly. But sometimes when it comes to sentence flow, it's not really an, a very objectifiable thing. Everybody's going to have a slight difference, but if you shadow you end up picking up a lot of those things so shadowing is listening reading and speaking at the same time so you're trying to keep up with the native speaker and uh, speak at the same time that they do and what that naturally does is on an unconscious level get you better at flowing through your sentences so glad to hear that it's so addicting alex aaron braden on nasal final eng quiz I get that the initial R is simple in theory, but pronouncing it, not so easy. It's nice when there's an English word to compare, but I'm not able to re- reproduce the same sound every time, uh, so I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. Well, yeah, of course, R is one of the problem initials, so there's not really an English equivalent. R is z, z. Now, how do I get that so quick? Well, because, because if I take an A, for me, easier to say syllable, sh the only real difference between 日 and sh is that I'm adding sh before 日. but when I say sh, which people don't tend to have too much trouble with once they learn the tongue position of up back retroflex against the roof of your mouth, they tend to find sh quite easy to say. So just do this, go sh, 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 sh. 日, 日, 日. I don't have to change my tongue position at all. I don't have to change my mouth at all. All I'm doing is adding in the s h and taking it away uh and that's one way that you can practice that and then once you've done that, you'll start to get the hang of it and you'll go you know 生日, you know these different words that you'll learn uhsi means date uh we had uh days we had uh birthday and also ju. Is actually not used that much. I mean, it's uh, the character is very common, and there's there's other uh some other words that use that pronunciation, but it's actually not that common to use, it's just that one particular character. But even still, just take that sh away, and you should be able to get it. Irene Ong on Make a Movie for Dwight, which is character 23 and it means to exchange, she says. Set the scene is E-I. Can you you confirm why the set is not U-I? So, remember that all of the U-E-I finals, if you add an initial in front of it, for example, adding D in front of the U-E-I, the E drops in the pinyon spelling, but it does not drop in the pronunciation. It still is and so that E-I Is still there, it's just not spelled that way. It's spelled D-U-I, but it's pronounced D-U-E-I. So the set is still going to be the E-I set. Um, So it's just that. It's just that pinyon spelling oddity. Gary Gatsby on the drawbacks of having bad pronunciation. So this little uh, podcast-like lesson where Luke and I talk about what happens when you have uh, poor pronunciation. He says, thank you for highlighting this, which I feel for me is important so I can actually focus on doing it correctly in the beginning, rather than learn bad habits and realize it down the track when it will be difficult to correct. And that's exactly right. It's kind of what happened to me. I was able to correct them. You know, I I, I didn't focus enough on pronunciation in the beginning. There were some basic pronunciation things that I just never learned properly. And so as a result, I kind of, uh, I just built up some bad habits that if i'm if i'm really tired they sometimes will come back uh but for the most part i've gotten rid of them and it but it was a lot of work it was a lot of practice and you know having to do this extra work that if i just done it right from the beginning i would have never developed the bad habits so you're absolutely right gary and uh you know keep it up you're gonna you're gonna do very well Babes Gutierrez on Unit 1 Wrap-Up. She says, I've been wanting to learn Mandarin for the longest time, but never had the time to do it. Now I have no excuse not to learn from learn from it. Watching these videos seems encouraging. There's a chance for me it's never too late. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it takes like a year or two to learn Mandarin, you know, for most people. I mean, for some using our methods, right? Like, you know, you could learn it even faster if you were particularly committed. Maybe it takes you three or four years, but you know, unless you've you know gotten diagnosed with a terminal illness and you know you're not going to have four years left, why not? I mean, like, you, it's going to serve you no matter what you do after that. Like, it's like uh, Chinese people are all over the place. People who speak Mandarin are all over the place. So it's definitely worth uh, the time. And sure, it's like, well, I want to learn it now. It's like, well, what's wrong with learning it four years from now? You know, I'm uh, uh, 32 at the moment. If I am fluent in... Portuguese by 37 most of my life i'm going to be fluent in portuguese hopefully you know if i don't have an accident or something so it's like there's uh there's all the incentive to just go ahead and take the time and just like we were talking about earlier about the theme of not putting pressure on yourself hey there's no rush take your time do it in whatever uh length of time it seems necessary and uh you'll do it babes barry hill on make a movie for Co. He says, Hi, can you help me please? I chose the Outback for his OU set, being Australian. How is that related to the movie I made? So, the Outback is probably not a good choice for your set. And the reason why is because uh, sets are better to be a building with distinct rooms and distinct borders. So, the Outback is obviously a huge... Uh, area that, you know, I'm sure you could choose four spots in the Outback to represent the four tones, but it's better to just have a building that it's like, okay, outside the entrance is first tone, inside the entrance of the kitchen is second tone, uh, any other room in the house is third tone, the bathroom or backyard is fourth tone. And so, uh, I wouldn't choose the Outback there. What you should choose is the uh, a set that is a building, and then how does it relate to making the scene? Well, any uh, character, like for example, Cole uh, that has that pronunciation of ou. The fact that you're in that place in your mind's eye tells you that the pronunciation of the character ends in ou, and then you'll have somebody like Kevin Spacey in there, or you know, so Kevin Spacey's in there in the ou set. Now you know it's col, and he's in the bedroom, so it's it's third tone col. Hopefully that makes sense. Alex Sumray on new vocabulary unlocked. How can? Hi there. Would someone mind breaking this down for me, please? The sentence. My brain can't seem to comprehend quite so many can and hows in, in one go. So, first of all, let's get this one part out of, this, this out of the way. 我想过去, I want to go over. So, 我想过去, I'm sure that you can understand that much. So, the next word is 看看, take a look. So, I want to go take a look. 我想过去看看, so... When you double up a verb like that, it's just sort of saying, like, um, you know, it, it's just sort of saying that you're doing the verb casually, right? So, 我想过去看看. Ta, so her, I wanted to go over and take a look look at her. And then it says, 好不好看? So, 好看 means uh, good looking. Buhao kan means not good looking, so bu kan is good looking or not. So, wo I want to go over kan kan, take a look, ta whether or not she's good looking. So, that's all it is. I can understand why it can be a little bit confusing, but it's just about dividing the sentence up in its correct um, uh, d- divisions. Alex Sumray on New Vocabulary Unlocked for lai 来说 Does omitting the 对 alter the meaning of, the se- of these sentences much then? yeah, Yeah, if you just say, like, 她来说, it's not really correct. You have to say 对 uh to make that clear. Um, there might be some context where you could omit it, but I don't really hear it day to day. It's usually, you know, 对 something 来说 means from that perspective. So, um... 对观众来说, as far as the audience is concerned, 观众 means audience, so 对观众来说, as far as the audience is concerned, blah, 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 right? So you need that 对 so you can figure out who's the direction that it's coming from. Della Fuller on New Vocabulary Unlocked, means. Yes, 你叫什么名字 was definitely in the first chapter of my Chinese textbook at the University of British Columbia. But after a year, I could probably write less than 10 characters. As soon as the quiz was over, they just went right out of my head. Nothing to hang on to now. Now I just think of samurai swords and the Rolling Stones' mouths, lol. Yeah, it's it's funny how, like... Universities will focus so much on phrases, they'll be like, 你叫什么名字? means, what's your name? And so that's a common phrase, so we're going to focus on that. But think about how many things in that sentence you don't know. You know, there's character components, there's tones, there's pinyin initials, there's pinyin finals, there's meanings, there's words that are two characters. Like, it's like, this is so hard to remember if you don't have any underlying context or any underlying understanding of what the characters mean. So when you build bottom-up by learning the characters first, and then you see 你叫什么名字, it just makes it so easy to uh, comprehend the meaning, and then you can start comprehending meaning on a meta-level. So that means basically meaning that you're going to be able to form your own sentences uh, unconsciously, which is, that's the real goal. Alex Sumray on It's a Word one. Hi there, may I ask what the function of the yeah is in this sentence? So the character yeah, which means also. The sentence is, um, So the sentence, he's saying, what is does add here? And so what I would argue is that we can't really know without further context of what previous things were said, but if you imagine the speaker saying, which means when you if you finish writing, yeah also can come with me and play or hang out uh war is kind of one of those words in Chinese that like you know play for adults when we think of people getting together to play, it's usually, uh, you know, kids playing, uh, but wire can kind of just mean, like, hang out also. Anyway, that's besides the point. What, it's almost like the speaker is saying, once you finish, which is your main obligation, Ni once you finish writing, uh, you there's infinite possibilities of what you could do. It's like they're, they're kind of in a non-demanding way saying you could come and hang out with me, you know, it's like kind of this, you could also do that amongst the many other things you could possibly do. It's, it's sort of a tactful way of being like, Hey, here's an idea, but like not being demanding. So that's all it really is. I would say, um, again, if there was further context and we knew what other sentences were leading up to it, it might make more sense to something specific, but even if it weren't specific, even if they, they just said that apropos of nothing, it's not completely out, uh, out to lunch, because, uh, you know, it's basically just making a comparison between anything they could do should they finish the writing. Alex, summary on new vocabulary unlocked for 安全. Sorry, also confused with this one. 这样不是又快又安全吗? So it's like saying, this appears to be again fast and again safe 对吗? Read at once and at once. So what he's referring to is the 又快又安全. So if you want to say that uh, something is fast. You could say, uh, uh, the, the car is fast. So, uh, 车很快. So that's just saying, the car is fast. Well, what if you want to say, the car is fast and safe? Well, you don't say, 很快, 很安全. You don't really say, 很 twice. What you do is you say, 又快,又安全. So you use, 又 blank, 又, when you want to say two adjectives describing the same thing. So, 这样 is the initial uh, subject of the sentence. So like, like this, 又快又安全, it's fast and safe like this, is the way you could say it. And of course, this is also a rhetorical question. Isn't this way faster and safer? Like, it's like what you would say to somebody who is maybe... uh, Putting forward a different idea, and you're like, wait, but isn't this way faster and safer? And that's kind of what's going on in that sentence. But yeah, yo blank yo, so yo plus adjective, yo plus adjective is basically saying two adjectives that describe one thing. So that's what that sentence is about. Alex Sumray on new vocabulary unlocked ball ball. So ball is treasure, and ball ball is baby. Am I reading into that etymology as beautifully it's, as it seems? Absolutely, yeah. I always thought that was nice that they, they call a baby a treasure treasure. A ball ball. It's quite quite nice. Next, we're going to go on to our movie scene shares for this week. So these are full mnemonic scenes that include the actor sets, props, scripts, and special effects to memorize individual Chinese characters. And the first one we're going to start with is Della Fuller on Make a Movie for B, which is the character that kind of means an ancient spoon, but it's much more common uh, as a component in other characters. So let's uh, see what she says. Bella is in the living room of my childhood home. So there we go. We already have the pronunciation of B completely covered because uh, Bella represents the B-I as a female actor. And there's no final, so it's childhood home and it's third tone, so it's in the living room. She is practicing martial arts with her hook and samurai sword. So there are two props. She is whipping them around and smashing them together so hard that they are heating up and beginning to soften. Finally, when she smashes them together one more time, they meld and become an ancient spoon. She shrugs her shoulders and uses it to eat some soup. So I like this. So the lo- the internal logic of the story is uh, is cool. You know, she's whipping them around. It's what you would be doing if you were practicing martial arts. And uh, she has two weapons, and they get so hot from the uh, moving around. I like it. This is a great scene. Um... And, you know, it, it, the only minor possible thing I would say is that because at the end of the scene, it's an ancient spoon and you can't see the hook and the samurai sword anymore. It's possible you'll forget them. But what you could do is maybe just imagine that the even though it's a spoon, you can still sort of see the samurai sword and the hook as the constituent parts of the spoon, possibly. Um, so, yeah, it's a great scene from Della. Next! Stella Fuller on Make a Movie for B, which means to compare. We have two ancient spoons and we're going to have her niece Bella in the living room of my childhood home. So that covers the pronunciation. She is very hungry and a pot of her favorite soup sits in front of her on the coffee table. There are two ladles beside the pot. She picks them up and compares the two ladles, then decides to put the smaller one down and to use the larger one to scoop the delicious soup into her bowl more quickly. Uh, this is, should be fine, and the the facial expressions will be key to make this one work. As she's looking at the two spoons, she's considering: should I use this one? Let's take a closer look, and let's look at that one. And you know, she's really weighing the two. You know, and that will make it very clear that what she's doing is comparing, and that's the meaning of the character. So fantastic, Della Fuller on make a movie for ta, which is the pronoun for it. And then we have what we have here is a roof and an ancient spoon as our props. And so her actor will be Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is standing in front of a table outside of my daughter Olivia's apartment. So there's our pronunciation. There's a large soup pot in front of him with a lid on it. On it. And he has a ladle in his hand. Behind him, there's a banner that reads, This is it. The best soup you have ever tried. Come try it. He keeps yelling, People, this is it. The best soup you've ever tried. People are lined up down the block to try it. Yeah, I mean, obviously this scene, it's... To be honest, I don't think you're going to ever have trouble remembering this character because it's one of the main pronouns, you know, he, she, and it. It's not very difficult to learn top down. It's not, you know, the one thing is Tom Cruise does seem like a perfect... Uh, actor for this because it reminds me of that time that he was on Oprah and he was getting really excited and he jumped on the chair and like the idea of him being like this is it you know this is the way to be be a Scientologist um don't contact us <laughs> uh, but uh yeah that idea of it you know it's a bit tenuous in the scene but because like I said because this is such a easy character to learn top down I don't think it's going to be a problem so nice awesome Della. Della on make a movie for Mew means name. Michelle Obama is in the front lobby of my ENG set with an owl on her shoulder. (laughs) Nice. She has sunglasses on and is trying to keep a low profile. The Rolling Stone's mouth is being his usual annoying self, asking her, what's your name? What's your name? Michelle nods at the owl, and he flies over to the mouth, picking it up and depositing it in a large garbage can nearby. Uh, sure. I think that we could maybe... Um, add something to this to make the name part a little bit clearer. So when I think of name, the first thing I think of is name tag or name card. So perhaps uh, Michelle Obama, in her attempts to keep a low pro- profile, writes a name card, but she uh, you know, maybe scribbles it Ill- illegibly. So that's why the Rolling Stones mouth is like, I can't read it. What's your name? What's your name? And then uh, when the owl goes to drop the Rolling Stone's mouth in the garbage, she also drops the name card in with it, uh, just to make something physical that represents the idea of name. But other than that, that's a great scene. Next, Della on Make a Movie for Die. Donald Trump is sitting in my hairdresser's chair. When she walks away to mix up the color for his hair, an owl flies in with a razor blade in its beak and lands in front of him. Donald Donald looks around carefully, and when he sees that no one is watching, he takes the razor and scratches into the mirror. Barack Barack Obama is the wicked one. It's all his fault. Uh, Wicked being the meaning of the character. He then sits back down again and tries to look innocent when the hairdresser returns. She looks shocked and confused. He just shrugs his shoulders but has a wicked grin on his face. He takes a picture with his phone and quickly tweets about it to America good scene. I think that, um, you know, the obviously the way that this is expressed is through a word written on the mirror. Uh, but the idea that Donald Trump would think of Barack Obama as wicked and the idea of a wicked smile uh, definitely, you know, works. Maybe he also makes that wicked cackle then, <laughs> um, or something like that. Uh, there could maybe be something going there. The wicked wickedness there. You can maybe get the Wicked Witch of the West involved somehow, but it's, it's, it's good overall. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Su, which is the character to die or death. Steve Martin is sitting in the living room of my childhood home. The Wicked Witch of the West is stirring a potion with her ladle, cackling away. Steve seems paralyzed, unable to move, and his eyes are wide with fear. Finally, the witch scoops up a ladle full of her noxious potion and brings it over to Steve. Time to die, she giggles and pours it into his mouth. Steve coughs, twitches a little, and then dies, slumping over sideways onto the couch. Yeah, I think that that's probably clear enough. Maybe give him those cartoony X's in his eyes that show that he's dead with his tongue hanging out and just looking rather dead uh, to make it even clearer, and uh, that, should be, that should be good to go. Abigail on Make-A-Movie for cool, which means bitter. It can also mean, like, suffering. My actor is sitting in the living room of my childhood home watching a documentary on the Sphinx while tasting a very bitter elderflower cordial made with a vintage flower. I can imagine the disgusted look on her face. So, nice. So, the Sphinx is the representation of ancient, uh, and so watching the documentary on the Sphinx is good. And then the bitter elderflower cordial, and the elderflower cordial will be the... um, uh, the flower uh, element. And so the disgusted look of bitter, I mean, that's that's easy enough to do. Like you can, when something is very bitter, it's like a universal sort of uh, reaction on the face. So that should be good enough. And you can also like imagine a bitter bitterness in your mouth. Like, you know, that's, you can use mnemonics for more than just uh, visual elements. You can imagine a fake smell or you can imagine a fake taste. You could even add that in as well. Alex Sumrayon make a movie for Xi, which means to mail. My J.I. actress is in my childhood bathroom. She and Eleven from Stranger Things decide Eleven needs to go and fight the Demogorgon once and for all. She puts chainmail around her, followed by a helmet, which just so happens to be a cooking pan lid. <laughs> That'll be the top prop. All they had, uh, all they had to uh, at hand, unfortunately. The J.I. actor then puts Eleven in a big envelope and labels Mail to the Upside Down, licks the stamp, and goes off to mail the letter, and in doing so, save the world. Or at least, my bathroom, as far as the scene is concerned. Uh, Yeah, I like this. So Eleven's a representation of uh, the bottom component, which means strange or weird. She's from Stranger Things, so that makes sense. The lid, the pan lid, is the upper component, and the mailing is obviously, she's put into a big letter so that's great the only thing i would wonder about is the um the chainmail probably won't be a problem but the chain mail is kind of an extra prop which might confuse you in the future but you know other than that it's pretty good that's a great scene actually della fuller on make a movie for shou which means uh head as in like the i mean it has an ancient meaning of literally head but it could also be like the uh, for example the um shou xiang is the prime minister so the head of the government or uh Um, You know, there's other examples where you'll see shul as meaning, like, head as in the head of something or of an organization or something like that. Sean Connery is on the basketball court at the Oval, my community center, because he is the very enthusiastic and emotional head coach of the local basketball team, the Vikings. He wears a Viking helmet, which is the top prop. Which is lucky, because every time one of the players makes a mistake, Sean shakes his head and slaps his forehead. But the helmet protects him. Every time he thinks the referee makes a mistake, he holds his nose to show how little he thinks of their officiating. The game is not going well, so he slaps to the head and the nose pinching is uh, keeping Sean busy. So, yeah, so basically... um the nose is the bottom component, the Viking helmet is the top, and, you know, you could make his nose extra big to really uh, make that point that the nose is one of the props. Uh, but other than that, you know, head coach, uh, he clearly is the head coach. So that's one of the things, is basketball head coaches are always super clear because they're walking around the sideline of the uh, of the gym. So that's, uh, that's great. Awesome. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Doll. Donald Trump is in the backyard of my A.O. set, furiously tweeting because he is lost. We can't find the path back to the airport and back to Washington, D.C. Nearly headless Nick is frantically trying to get his attention, pointing towards the obvious path besides the house with a, po- a sign pointing towards the airport. So the keyword here is path. She does a good job of explaining that. And, um, Nearly Headless Nick is a representation of the head component. The actual path itself is the uh, the, the component there. So the, this is the character that means path. And it has, of course, it has the main component, which means path. So that's your overlap there. Great scene. And that covers all the scenes and all of the comments and emails that came in this week. Thanks so much for, so much for watching. MandarinBlueprint.com to learn more. And we'll see you next week.